Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. Well, this is uh, week three of our week four series, Your Future Self Will Thank You. Uh, Week number one, we talked about spending time with God. And I think two things that, 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 you know, stood out from that, specifically we're talking about the habits that you choose. And, uh, you know, one of our values at Redemption is to spend time with God. We believe that it is the, the foundation of the Christian life. And I think another thing that stood out from that week after talking with many of you, uh, interestingly enough, wasn't even a scripture, but it was a quote from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. He said, you don't rise to the level of your goals, but you fall to the level of your systems. And so it's the reality when, when, when you want to spend time with God, you fall to the level of your system. So what are the systems that you're putting in place in order for you to have a healthy habit of spending time with God? What are those systems? Week two, we talked about friendships and we talked about to, to be intentional with friendships. There are four things really that we're looking at. One is unity. Two is diversity. Three is influence. And four is faith. We said that we don't need fun friends only, but we need faith friends. Fun friends are buddies that you go play hockey with in a beer league and you slam a couple after in the parking lot. That's what the world does. But we don't just need fun friends. We need faith friends. We have, we have a lot of friends that we can play hockey with or volleyball with, but do we have friends that we can read scripture with, that we can go to the throne of Jesus with? And so we said we don't just need fun friends, but we need faith friends. This week, we're specifically looking at the temptations that we resist, the temptations that we resist. If we wrote ourselves a letter and in 10 years from now, we went back and we read that letter. Uh, one of the things, or rather, if we wrote, uh, went 10 years in the future and, and, and wrote ourselves a letter to the past, um, what would we write in there? What, what are the things that we would say, hey, stay away from this or redo this or actually choose a different path here? What are those things? Well, I think one of those things is I think we would talk to ourselves about the temptations that we face now, right? If we're writing ourselves a letter in 10 years from now to now, we would, we would, we would say, hey, those temptations, resist them. Resist them. Like nobody in 10 years is going to look back and go, man, I'm so glad you had an affair. I'm so glad you had that. Like, isn't that awesome? Nobody would say that. In 10 years from now, we're never going to say, hey, thank you so much for overindulging, for overspending, for overeating, for over blank, right? Nobody would say that. And so uh, likewise, though, on the other side, um, if we resist certain temptations, uh, those things will be the highlight of, of that relationships 10, year, 10 years from now? Um, well, what is our life like 10 years from now in, in relation to temptations? So the question, though, is what tempts you? Let's start off there. What tempts you? We're going to get into some of my temptations. Uh, the very temptation is free food. Come on. Yes, last week, uh, we had these incredible cookies. 
They were so good. Many of you thought they were homemade, but they weren't. They were store-bought. You just have to go to the better place at Whole Foods. It's a, it's a little more expensive. I get it. Um, but man, were they so good. They're so good. Uh, and here's the thing. Like, it's really hard for me to turn down free food. It, it just is, okay? Um, and so I had, you know, one, right? Um, or two or maybe three. So uh, don't judge me, though, but free food is the, is the thing, okay? Like, it's hard, okay? Um, uh, that's a silly one. Okay. Here's, here's another temptation. Like I struggle, I struggle with, with not saying things to you, um, just so you will like me. I struggle with that. Now, the truth is my personality, if you know me, if you like, especially if you know Enneagram stuff, like I'm an eight on the Enneagram, I'm a pretty strong personality. So I don't like really struggle hard with that, but it doesn't mean that the temptation isn't still there. It's still there. Sometimes I want to say things to you so that you'll like me, not because they're true. There are times in my life as a leader that I have things to say to you, and they're hard. They're hard things to say. Um, Throughout Scripture, those people were known as the prophets collectively. They said hard things to people in the name of God. And I'm not saying that I always have God's God's, uh, voice in in my voice, because sin mars that. But when God does give me something hard to say, sometimes I struggle to say it, because I just want you to like me. That's that's the truth. Um, My temptation, here's another one, uh, lust. And not just in the traditional sense of lust. Uh, I mean, when we think about lust, we often think, uh, you know, down one way, right? Like lust. But the truth is lust is overindulgence. That's what it is. And so, like, I struggle. My personality struggles with an overindulgence of things. Um, Across the board, overindulgence. If you know me, one of the jokes among my friends is that I have a hobby of hobbies. And so I fish a lot. I love fishing. Um, Just this morning, I was watching, like, an hour of YouTube videos, and my wife was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm watching videos about fishing. And she's like, you're such a nerd. Um, so I fish, I sew, uh, I cut hair, uh, I cut my hair, I cut other people's hair. Um, I make cologne, I read, I do woodworking, leatherworking. In the future, I want to pick up blacksmithing and beer making. Yeah, like literally, I have a hobby of hobbies, okay? Because at the end of the day, I have a very lustful personality. If I step into something, I jump all in. Super overindulgent, okay? And so that's a temptation. Now, the, the truth is those things I listed, those hobbies, they're not bad. Like, go learn how to sew. Go, 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 go learn how to do leatherworking. I'll teach you. It's so much fun uh, and sometimes lucrative, right? But, like, but here's, at the end of the day, good things can become bad things if we overindulge in them like anything. I was talking to someone recently and they said that um, they were a psychologist and they treated someone for the addiction of water. And uh, the person ended up passing away because of their addiction for water. They literally drank too much and they drank themselves to death, not from whiskey, but from water. Any good thing becomes a bad thing out of balance. So what about this? Uh, We all struggle with temptations. We may struggle to, to uh, grab the salad rather than the cheeseburger, or we, we, you know, we struggle to uh, take a nap rather than go to the gym, or we struggle with the doom scroll over a conversation with a friend. We struggle with watching the sixth hour of college football. Guilty. Yesterday. Okay, welcome back, college football. Uh, you know, we struggle with watching the sixth hour of college football rather than calling a friend. We, we struggle with doing anything else over spending time with God. I think we often see that, right? And so we have these struggles. And those are like things that are so-so, right? But there are more sinister temptations, I think, that sneak in if we were honest, if we were truthful with ourselves. If we said like, today I'm going to open up my heart. I'm going to look into it. Maybe don't let the person next to you look in, just you. Let's just go ahead and open up our heart. 
and look into our heart, and what do we see? I think for some of us, the temptation to flirt with someone who's not our spouse is there. Uh, to, To go ahead and flip over to incognito mode is there. To cheat on our taxes, I think that's there. To drink a few more than we should and get behind the car thinking that everything would be okay is there. Saying something behind someone's back that we would never say to their face, that temptation is there. And so our hearts are, are literally, uh, some people would say, idle factories, but they, they create temptation all the time that we struggle with. So the question before we continue is what is temptation? Can we just break it down? Temptation is this. It's anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. It's anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. And you might be satisfied for the moment, but there will always be a cost. And the cost is obeying God. And the cost of obedience to God often is not shown in the moment, but sometimes that cost doesn't come for 10, 15, or 20 years. But I promise you this, the moment that we choose satisfaction over obedience to God, that cost will always come. The bell will toll and it will come for you. And so we need to be careful about when we give into temptation, what are we really choosing? Maybe that cost isn't going to come today. Maybe it's not going to come for 10 years. But what are we choosing in the moment? Did you know that Jesus was tempted? Jesus was tempted. Yeah, Jesus uh, was fully God. You're like, yeah, but Jesus was God. How was he tempted? Yeah, but he was also fully man. Okay, now for you theology nerds, if you want a really good like term there, it's called the hypostatic union. All right, so he was fully God. He was fully man. It's called the hypostatic union. You can impress all your buddies at your next theology gang. Okay, your, your next, next gathering there. But he was tempted. And scripture actually says that he was tempted in every single way that we were tempted. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 says this. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Our high priest is Jesus. If you ever want to be confused, but also uplifted in the same time, go read Hebrews, okay? It's a little confusing, but it's also incredible when you can really understand what it's saying. Now, Jesus is known as our high priest. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So Jesus experienced great temptation, but he didn't sin, okay? Now we're going to go to a moment in scripture where Jesus was tempted, a very clear moment where Jesus was tempted, and we're going to look at how did he take care of his temptation? How did he deal with his temptation? Okay, so to give you some backstory before we even go to that scripture, Jesus was just baptized, and you're like, wait a minute, I just found out two crazy things. Jesus was tempted, he was also baptized? Yeah, yeah, and you should be too. Like, here's the deal. If you're following Jesus, but you haven't been tempted, you haven't been baptized, you'll be tempted, but you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized, okay? It's the first thing that Jesus does when he starts his ministry, and it's the very first thing that he calls us to do once we decide to follow him. So if you have not been baptized, but you are a follower of Jesus, talk to me afterwards and put it on your connect card, and let's get you baptized, okay? It's, it's a step of obedience. Okay, but Jesus was just baptized, and we're going to go ahead and read what happens. It's crazy. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, 
he was hungry. <laughs> I love this verse because it's like, it ends super abruptly. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, it's like, you know, it's kind of like the, like the entrance of a Star Wars film, you know, like the galactic blah, 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 and the blah, blah, blah. It's as scrolling, right? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So Jesus, he's hungry. But what's crazy about this is he was alone. Now, he wasn't alone in, this, in the fact that the Spirit had left him. No, no, the Spirit was with him. The Holy Spirit was with him in the wilderness, but he was alone. If you've ever seen uh, the show Alone, okay, very famous show these days, uh, many seasons, they go out there and they try to survive in the wilderness. This was Jesus, all right? It really was. Like, he was alone in the wilderness. Now, if anybody on uh, that show is a Christ follower, they were just as equipped as Jesus was. They had the Spirit with them. That's it. That's all they had, okay? And then there's Jesus, and Jesus is alone. And here's the truth. The devil then came to tempt him. The, the devil didn't come to tempt Jesus when he was with his cousin, John the Baptist. The devil didn't come to tempt Jesus when he was with his parents. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus didn't have temptations. He did. But at the end of the day, the devil, Satan himself, was not in the presence of Jesus trying to tempt him until what? Until Jesus was alone. Because at the end of the day, the moment you're alone is the moment that Jesus uh, or, or rather, is the moment that Satan is going to be tempting you. Um, have you ever heard of a lone ranger, right? Well, when it comes to self-control and temptation, a lone ranger is a dead ranger. <laughs> you don't survive by yourself out there in the wilderness. You just don't. Um, when, when I talk about sin and temptation with people, especially those who have fallen into sin and temptation, I start to evaluate their life. And there are two things I start to evaluate as a pastor. I ask them these two things. Who, who knows about this? Okay, who, who, who knows about this? And, uh, and, and, and how have you kept it in the dark? Because sin is very much like mushrooms. I don't know if you know this. Mushrooms grow in two things, poop and dark. That's right, yeah, two things, poop and dark, okay? Sin's very similar. Sin grows in anonymity and autonomy. Those are the two things it grows in. And so if you can be anonymous, if you can stay quiet and over in your own little corner and not let anybody into your life, then you can keep sinning and your sin can keep growing, right? If, if you can stay anonymous, and if, if, if you can stay autonomous, if you can stay away from people. And so those conditions, anonymity and autonomy, that's what ends up growing sin. And so Jesus, he's one of those things. He's autonomous. He's not around anybody. He's by himself. And this is when Satan comes to him. Matthew chapter four, verse three, the tempter came to him. The tempter is Satan. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, man, if you are the son of God, see the one thing that Satan starts to do here is to get God, to get Jesus Christ, who is God. Remember hypostatic union, right? Fully God, fully man. The one trick that he starts with is, hey God, if you're really God, <laughs> it's crazy, right? He gets him to try to question his identity. Hello, 2021. <laughs> like nothing has changed. If you were to walk into Satan's office today, there would be shag carpet and he'd be wearing a polyester suit, right? And he'd be selling snake oil because nothing changes. He doesn't have to change the way that he is tempting us. It never has to change. Why? Because it works. That's why. 
Because for 2,000 plus years, since the beginning of time, actually, millenniums and millenniums, since the beginning of time, that polyester suit wearing, shag carpet having, snake oil salesman, Satan, has been doing the same thing. Are you really who you think you are? Are you really who God says you are? Now listen, if Satan will work to get the Son of God to question his deity, how much more will he work for you to question your identity? And what is your identity? What is your identity? What does God say about you? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I love this verse. Real quick, he says, For we are God's masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do you want to know what God thinks about you? Turn off social media. Turn off the news. Turn off your best friend who's spiritual but doesn't go to the Bible. Stop listening to them. I'm dead serious about that. Go to the one thing that holds the words of life. I love in John chapter 6, the disciples, they, they are going through this thing with Jesus and they're having a hard time and, and half of their people leave because Jesus says some hard things. And Jesus definitely, like, his countenance is down. You can tell that him being fully man is, is discouraged. And he turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to leave me too? One of his disciples say, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of life. So put, on, put down social media. Turn off all the talking heads in your life that are not giving you the words of life. And so Jesus, he, he, he's, he gives us this scripture. He tells us that we're his masterpiece. He tells us that he loves us. This is our identity, but Satan, he tries to get us to question it. The same way that he tried to get Jesus, the son of God, to question his deity 2,000 years ago. Again, verse 3, the tempter, Satan, he came to Jesus and he said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I love this because Jesus, he answers Satan. And listen, we, we need to take note of this. Jesus answers Satan with what? He answers him with, with, with verses from the Old Testament, Right? with verses from the Old Testament. Now, they didn't have a Bible like we have a Bible, okay? They didn't have everything bound and put together and chapter-versed and all this stuff. That's not what they had, okay? It wasn't, it, was, it wasn't wrapped and pretty and like, you know, faux leather, okay? What it was, was it was a verbal um, tradition that like they knew the scriptures, but there, there were several copies that were, there were hard copies, but they were in each, you know, these towns and rabbis had them and, and they had fragments and stuff. And, and so what they did, it was a very, very uh, oral culture, very oratory led. And they would, they would remember scripture. They would hide it away in their heart. What, one of the worst things that we have in Christianity is this. And it's the printing of the Bible. It's the Gutenberg printing press. It was the greatest thing that we had, right? Because it helped us spread the gospel. It helped us spread the, the message of Jesus. But the other downside of it is the moment that you're like, man, what was that verse? Like, what was the, uh, what did Jesus say about me? You just Google it, right? 
And so what happens is we, we, we don't hide it in our heart the same way that they did. Well, Jesus, he has the word hidden in his heart and he combats the devil. He kicks him away with verses from the Old Testament, okay? We need to take note of this. All right, Matthew chapter four, verse five. Then the devil, he took him, took Jesus to the holy city. This is Jerusalem. And he had him stand at the highest point of the temple. Again, here we go. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered them, it is also written, or Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. So, so Satan, he's promising Jesus all these things. This is comical. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And I'll get this. Then the devil left him. Well, that's great that the devil left him. Uh, but the angels came and attended him. Now, I want you to notice something here about Satan. Um, every single thing that Satan offers Jesus, every single thing as Satan walks up wearing that polyester suit with the snake oil in hand, every single thing that Satan tempts Jesus with were things that Jesus already had or would already be given anyway. Satan wasn't tempting Jesus with anything that wasn't his. Satan was tempting Jesus with shortcuts and fast passes. Every single thing that Satan is offering to Jesus is a shortcut or a fast pass. You ever been to Walt Disney? Ever been to Six Flags? Ever been to, to Cedar Point? They give you a fast pass if you pay the money for it, right? And, and, and that fast pass, that shortcut will get you to the front of the line. And so uh, bread, like, yeah, um, as soon as Satan leaves the angels come and they minister to Jesus and they give him bread. Jesus doesn't need your bread, Satan, right? I'm out here fasting for a reason, bro, okay? Don't need your bread. I'm not trying to eat right now. That's what Jesus is trying to think, right? Uh, okay, hey, uh, all the power in the world, all the kingdoms, all these things, like, um, you know, are you kidding me? Like, at this moment, Jesus is on a throne and he rules the universe, there's nothing that Satan was going to offer Jesus that he didn't already have. But the, the question is, what was the appeal then? Like, why was it such a big deal? Why was Satan working so hard to, to get that fast pass, to get, you know, that, 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 that shortcut to Jesus? Because if Jesus went the way of Satan, he could forfeit the pain of the cross. And for a moment... Jesus could reign with all the bread he wanted and with all the kingdoms of this world, with all the power and all these things. But at the end of the day, he wouldn't have to endure a cross. And guess what would be taken from Satan? I think we'd be reading, or sorry, guess what would be taken from Jesus? I think we'd be reading a, a totally different story. That would, I don't even know where it would go, right? But Jesus knew this. He, he knew that he had to go through the pain and the suffering of the cross. He knew that. And he, here's the, the truth. Again, Satan's strategies haven't changed. Go into his office today, shag carpet, polyester suit, snake oil in hand. He says to you, oh, you want that? That's fine. 10 easy payments, $49.99. It's all yours. It's all you need. Oh, you, you want that? Just swipe left. 
or swipe right. I, I, I forget. I never, was never on it, but you know what I'm saying. Swipe the direction you're supposed to swipe. You can have it. Oh, you, 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 want, you want those things? Like, just go, just go get it, okay? It's all yours. Satan's never changed. Satan offered Jesus all these things that he was already going to get. So the question is this. In the moments of temptation, when you're most tempted, what is Satan offering you that God has not already promised you? What is Satan trying to give you that God has not already said that he will give you? In Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, it says this. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? I just love that right there. My, my, my grandfather used to read the Bible to me when I was a little kid. By the way, if you're a grandfather or you're a parent, read the Bible to your kids. Sit down with them. Sit them, sit them across from you on the table. Tell them to put the stinking phone down. Tell them to turn off the video games. Tell them to quit talking to other people for a moment. And, and not so they can hear the words coming out of your mouth, but so they can hear the words of life pouring from the pages of Scripture. My grandfather, he would sit me down at a table and read the Bible to me. Um, and uh, I promise I didn't, <clears throat> didn't mean to get emotional there. Um, there's nothing more powerful than that. And... Um, He's still alive, but what I wouldn't do to sit down in front of him uh, today, tonight, and uh, just have him read this. Um, he would read a lot in uh, Scripture. And he read uh, this verse a lot, and he's country as all get up. And so he would say, uh, if, who can, if, uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? And um, man. Okay, uh, verse 32. Um, yeah, before I go on, just take that moment. Read with read. Um, it's so powerful. There's a uh, few memories I have that are so near and dear to me, but one of them is my grandfather reading the words of life to me. Okay, verse 32. Um, Since he did not spare even his own son, but God, he gave him up for us all. I love this right here. Won't he also give us everything else? Let's dwell on that. Just leave it up there. Won't he? Won't he? Like all these things that you need, won't he? The God who gave Jesus his son for your salvation. If he didn't withhold his son, won't he give you everything that you need? Won't he? I love that. That is, that is so poetic and deep. And those two words, won't he? Of course he will. He'll give you everything that you need. Everything. So um, I plead with you here. When it comes to temptation, don't trade the, alter, the immediate for the ultimate. All those immediate things, the shortcuts, the fast passes, buying it from the polyester wearing, shag carpet having, snake oil salesman. Don't trade the immediate for the ultimate. Don't do it. So how do you resist temptation? Here's three things. I want to give you a threefold plan of how we resist temptation as we wrap up here. Uh, number one, grow your self-control muscle. 20 years ago, there was a psychologist by the name of Roy Baumeister. And Roy, uh, he started this entire uh, study where he wanted to study self-control and willpower. 
what he did was he took a group of college students and he had these college students fast. And he had them fast for, uh, I believe it was a week. And at the end of this week, he took the group and he put them into a room. And at the, uh, in the room, as they walked in, the, the room smelled of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. Now, if you've ever fasted in here, like this is pure torture, right? And so freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. Now, they weren't like Cinnabon, you know, like piping lies into the air. If you don't know this, like Cinnabon, literally, they, they have like a certain scent that they put out into the air. Like if you've ever walked by Cinnabon, you're like, man, it smells so good. It's because they literally spray in the air. Okay, it's like Hollister. They do that too. It's crazy. Anyway, um, but they're not, you know, Hollister's not spraying cinnamon rolls. They're, they're spraying 15-year-old boy cologne. Anyway, okay, so, um, so uh, Cinnabon. Okay, so like, where, where am I going? Oh yeah, Fresh Bake. Okay, Roy Baumeister, 20 years. Okay, so 20 years ago. Okay, so Roy Baumeister. I'm so lost. Um, Okay, so they go into this room. They're, they're, it smells like freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. He divides them up into two groups. One uh, the, the group, they sit at a table, and at the center is a plate, a heaping plate of chocolate chip cookies. And they, he said, you can eat as, as many as you want. And then he sits the other group at a table, and there's a heaping plate of radishes. Yeah. And he goes, hey, good news for you guys too. Eat as many as you want. You can have as many radishes as you'd like. And so they sit there, and what Roy and his team does is they, they give them this uh, puzzle. And this test is unsolvable. It, it's something they could never finish. Uh, their point wasn't for them to solve the, the test, to finish the test. Their point was to track their endurance. And what they found out is the group that was sitting at the chocolate chip cookie table, they lasted on average 20 more minutes then the table uh, full of radishes. After the test, what Roy Baumeister and his team figured out is as humans, the way God has created us, which by the way, I think sometimes we think there's a conflict between faith and science. There is not, okay? Like truly God created us and science is the study of how God created us and the world around us. And so, um, so God created us to have gauges and our gauges run low. And what Roy figured out is that our self-control and our willpower gauges do, in fact, run low. Have you ever been around someone who's been hangry? If you haven't, you should be around my wife after a long day of work, okay? She gets, she's like over there going, you kidding me? Yeah, like she gets hangry, okay? Like she needs a Snickers, okay? But we do too. Anybody who gets in that moment, we need a Snickers because we become a diva, right? Like you've seen the commercials. And so like our gauges get low. And what happens when our gauges get low is our self-control and our willpower drops, Okay, and so, and so what we need to do is we need to grow our self-control muscle. Jesus, one time, he was <clears throat> towards the end of his life, um, and he was, uh, it was the last hours as a free man before his arrest. He's with his 11 disciples. Judas, the betrayer, already left him to go find the authorities to have Jesus arrested. And Jesus is sitting there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as Jesus is uh, sitting there, he's praying, and this is what he, he prays, and this is what he says to his disciples. He says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Ever been in that place where the body is weak? But Jesus says, keep watch and pray. Keep watch and pray. There will be times in your life where you're going to want to do something. And you're going to want to will your spirit. And you're going to want to will your body to do it. But your flesh is weak. But Jesus says, keep watch and pray. What does it mean to keep watch? <clears throat> keep watch simply means to pay attention. In the 1990s, there was um, 
there was a civil war in Yugoslavia. It was uh, between the Croatians and the Serbians. <clears throat> the crazy thing about this civil war, excuse me, the crazy thing about the civil war is that the Croatians and the Serbians, they wanted to make sure that they were not um, invaded in any way. And so what did they do? They planted landmines. They planted 90,000 landmines. They planted them all over the country. But there was one problem. <laughs> That's right, you know it. They didn't keep a map. Yeah. And so 90,000 landmines were planted all the way across the country, and there's no map detailing where these landmines are. If you walk over into Yugoslavia in that area today, in the Croatia and Serbian area, um, you're still running the risk of stepping on a landmine and killing yourself. In the last 20 years, 2,500 people have lost their lives while roaming the countryside. In many rights, it is not a safe country to be in. Let me ask you this. What are the landmines in your life? What are the landmines that are unmapped, that are lurking under the surface, that are awaiting the pressure of your foot just to go off? What are the things in your life that will change everything? Jesus says you've got to watch. It means you've got to know what's going on in your life. Every time you say no to a temptation, it gets a little weaker. So this week, what I want you to do is I want you to pick a temptation, one that is coming between you and God, and I want you to say no to it all week. It might be no Netflix. It might be no video games. It might be no gossip. It might be um, no uh, certain types of food or whatever. I don't know, but what, what is coming between you and the Lord? Maybe it's no to 12 hours of sleep. <laughs> Instead, you're going to be normal and sleep eight hours, Okay. But whatever it is, what are you saying no to? Number two is this, uh, listen to a sweeter song. This series, Your Future Self Will Thank You, actually comes from a book, and uh, the book is written by Drew Dick. And uh, in this book, Your Future Self Will Thank You, he says this, he says, the best way to avoid sin, the most powerful means of self-control comes by listening to a sweeter song. Now, what is a sweeter song? What is Drew Dick talking about? What is a sweeter song? A sweeter song is, is, is the words, it's the, 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 the words of God, because God has a voice, but so does temptation. Temptation has a voice as well. See, temptation, uh, the voice says this, it says, go ahead and take that because you deserve it. Inhale it, drink it, do it, whatever it is, and like do it. it, it it's, it's you, right? Like you deserve it, go for it. Do you know how hard you've worked for that? Like, hey, YOLO, right? Like, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to care. God, God's going to be fine with it. And nobody's going to find out about it. Again, YOLO, just do it. Go. You deserve it. That's temptation. But God has a voice. And often God's voice gets drowned out because of temptation's voice. Did you know this? Um, digital experts, digital marketing experts, they believe that, and this number grows every year, but they believe that 4,000 to 10,000 ads we see a day, every day, digital ads. 4,000 to 10,000 digital ads. Do you, do you think that that's pouring into your life? Do you think that that's a voice that is taking you a different way? Of course it is. What about a 24-hour news cycle? I mean, it kills us as well. Um, if you know this, God is omniscient. He knows all things. Uh, but the truth is that we're half-nition. <laughs> we know half of the truth about half of the things, right? 
And the problem is that's doubly dangerous because we think we know so much. Uh, I love these memes that have come out recently. Uh, I heard that he's COVID-19 pandemic, geopolitical Afghanistan, and now a hurricane and weather expert. (laughs) See, at the end of the day, like we think we know everything. think we know everything, but there are all these things that are pouring into our hearts, and here's the truth. Um, We weren't made for a 24-hour news cycle. Uh, The Uyghur crisis in China, if you're like, hey, I don't know what that is, you can Google it for a slight moment and then turn it off for a bit, Um, but it's a making of a modern-day holocaust in China. We're not doing anything about it. Um, The UN hasn't done anything about it. There's a Uyghur crisis. They're taking over a Taliban in Afghanistan. It's heartbreaking. Uh, Pineapple Express is pretty cool if you've seen that. Not the movie, but the, uh, the group that's rescuing people. Um, you know, there are all these things, even Hurricane Ida that happened this past week. There are all these things that are going on in our lives. And we're not meant to be aware of these things all the time. Don't be an ostrich and put your head in the sand, but you're not meant to be in these things all the time. And so um, the, the question here is that Jesus tells us to watch and pray. He tells us to watch and pray. When was the last time that you watched, figured out the temptations in your life, but you sat back and you prayed? And not only prayed for yourself, but you prayed for your loved ones that they would withstand the temptation from Satan. Um, Watch and pray. Now, listen to a sweeter song. Let me give you a sweeter song from God. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, the beautiful thing about this is you don't have to worry about everything that happens in the world. Uh, what you do have to worry about is loving God. First John chapter three, verse one, it says, see what great love the Father has lavished, I love that word, lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's the sweeter song. It's the voice of God. And I said this week one, and I said it earlier today, but the only way that you get to understand the voice of God, scripture says that that, that he's the great shepherd and the shepherd, or rather the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. The only way that you get to know the voice of your shepherd, the only way that you get to know the sweeter song of God is to be in the word. So are you spending time with God? And the last thing is this. Um, have a predecided list of never evers. You should have a list of things that you will never, ever do. And then stick to that list. Um, let's talk about dating. For those of you that are dating, uh, do you think that the wisest moment for you to decide uh, what not to do is, uh, is when the movie's flickering in the background and the lights are off? Or maybe, maybe the wisest time would be before that, right? before that moment with some mentors, with a Bible in front of you, prayerfully considering the man or the woman that you want to be. And I'm not saying that if you've made any mistakes that they're not forgivable, amen, they are. But man, if we want to be intentional, we need to have a list of never evers. What about finances? You know, what about that time where like you have a a, a looming medical bill over your head? Is that the time for you to decide if you should take that extra 500 bucks from your company? 
because nobody's gonna find out. And you have a moment right then to strike while the iron's hot and nobody will ever know. All your tracks will be covered. They trust you so much. That company will never find out that you took that 500 bucks and that $475 medical bill is covered. Now's the time, do it. it but is now the time to make a decision for you to throw your whole entire career away? Or is it maybe before that? With wise counsel, with your parents, with your spouse, thinking of your future children and, and the man or woman, the legacy that you want to leave. Or, or on a somewhat funny note, church. Praise God that you're here. But is it, is it easier to make that decision before or, uh, or is it better to make it when laundry needs done and the kids' faces need wiped and, and the lunches need packed for tomorrow and there's a busy week ahead? Like, is it easier to decide before we're always going to church because God is gonna honor that and we're gonna become men and women of integrity who love the Lord? Or is it better to decide it when the squeeze of life is coming in? And so we need to have a pre-decided list of never evers. Um, I pastored long enough, uh, not long, I didn't say that, but I pastored long enough to know this, to know that some of you are at the radish table right now, to know that the temptation for the chocolate chip cookies are there, to know that the test that you're being given right now seems unsolvable and you're at the brink of giving up and you're at the brink of stepping into something else, something that will change the course of your life. And maybe that test that you're given is, is to do with the purity of, of your eyes. Maybe it's to do with the purity of your dating relationship. Maybe it's to do with the purity of your marriage. Maybe that test is to do with the purity of your integrity over that $500. Or, or, or finally you're at your breaking point that you, you just want to lash out at that person and really let him have it. I don't know what the test is in your life, but I know that some of you are at a radish table. I know you're being grinded on, you're being worn on. And you're wondering if tomorrow's the day that you step on the landmine. I had an opportunity to sit down and listen to a pastor speak his pastor was a pastor who had fallen from grace. Um, he made a decision that blew up his ministry and removed him from the pulpit. And he kind of shared about that story. And after the story, someone from the audience, they took some Q&A, and someone from the audience raised their hand and said this, um, hey, I have a question. Um, at the moment, at that time, did you know what you were doing? And this is what that person said. In the moment, I was looking for a landmine to end it all. I was tired. I was hurt. I was lonely. I was ready for it all to be over. I promise you that's what he said. Specifically using that word landmine. I was looking for a landmine to end it all. And I know this, that there are people in here, you're ready to step on a landmine. You're at the radish table. You're feeling worn down. When I read that, for some of you, it was so true and tangible. It was so real and relatable. There's this moment 2,000 years ago. We're going to wrap up here. Jesus, he told his disciples to watch and pray, and we're going to do that. But prior to the watch and pray, 
about three years before that, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus tells his disciples to pray. And do you know what they said? Jesus, we don't know how to pray. We don't know. Teach us, rabbi, teacher, rabbi, teach us how to pray. And Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. And so what I want us to do is I want us to stand up together. And we're going to honor the word of the Lord by standing. And as if we were off the shores of Galilee 2,000 years ago, before the rabbi who was teaching his disciples to pray. I want us to cling on to every word. I want us to think, Jesus, how are you teaching me to pray? What are the specific words that you're giving me to pray? Don't read this as if you've, you've read it a thousand times before or just commit it from your heart. Cling to these words as if they're coming off the lips of Jesus. Let's read them together with me. Our Father in heaven, out loud. We're going to read them out loud. Come on, break those comfort zones. Let's go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Redemption, I promise you this. If you resist the temptations of the radish table, the moment, the test that is grinding on you, the things that are, that are surrounding you, the landmines that are all around you, if you resist them, in 10 years from now, your future self will thank 